Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hello there. Thank you ever so much for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. I'm Toby Milden, and today I'm joined by Nazia Magda. Now, I met Nazia quite recently. Nazia works for the NHS, and I was speaking at a Lunch and Learn event that was organised by the NHS. And obviously, Nazia was there, and we got we connected afterwards and got chatting. And one thing that I was really impressed with, and the reason why I wanted to get Nazia on the show today, was because um, Nazia has done a really great job um, in the part of the NHS that he works at, looking at how you can create more equality at that kind of systemic level. And this is something that I talk about in my book. I've got a whole chapter on colleague experience and design. And the whole chapter really is about trying to stop fixing individuals, but rather look at the business policies, systems, culture, processes that are actually getting in people people's way and holding them back. So when Nazir was talking about the work that he's been doing at the NHS, I was really intrigued and wanted to delve a bit deeper. So um, Nazir, it's really great to, to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Toby. Thank you for inviting me to the Inclusive Growth Podcast. Um, really chuffed to be here. So could we begin by you letting us know a bit more about yourself and your, your professional background and what led you to your current role? My career started in the private sector, so I was mainly in retail management. And it was a kind of um, stumble upon equality and diversity. So I worked for the BBC and uh, we did some collaborative work with the NHS. And then one thing led to a conversation with one of the managers that you'd be really good in the NHS. And um, as they say, the rest is history. So I'm currently, I've been working in the equality and diversity field for 19 years. And I'm currently the lead for diversity and inclusion for East Lancashire Hospitals and it's just trust. Brilliant. So I know when, when we were talking earlier, this, what we're about to talk about today really stemmed from a number of frustrations that were being felt within your organisation. So what were those frustrations that, you know, that you had unearthed with, with your people? Yeah, so we have staff network groups, uh, we have six of them, and uh, some of our data on our workforce makeup showed huge diversity deficit, particularly in um, senior roles. And um, data is important because it drives insights and helps you diagnose what you need to do different to enable greater diversity. So some of the themes across all of the networks are consistent around the recruitment and retention. And uh, the staff survey highlighted disparities in terms of some of the free text comments that it's not what you know, it's who you know. And some people remark that certain jobs are earmarked suggesting nepotism. Some of the leadership were quite somewhat removed from the front line, are uh, not much aware of the, the agenda. So what I did was pair them up with somebody from an underrepresented background to be reverse mentored. We had 
tried quite a number of things in the past, but it wasn't shifting the dial. Yeah. And I know that's that's how our conversation started originally, wasn't it? It was like the stuff that was being done wasn't shifting the dial. And then you were like, hang on a minute, we need to go deeper than this. You know, we need to go into much more of a systemic level. I suppose once those frustrations had been surfaced, what did you then organise? Yeah, I think what we did in the past was deliver things like unconscious bias. And what we found was you can't root out bias from individuals. Yeah. But what you could you can do is at a systemic level, or you can root out bias from systems and mechanisms and processes. So I organized a face-to-face event uh, with representation from all of the six staff network groups, booked out 10 rooms. Uh, we had facilitators within those sessions. And basically all of the day was around looking at some of the recruitment processes separately to root out the bias. So there was one for attraction. Yeah. Um, so a group just talked about how um, there are barriers uh, within the attraction process. So are, we, are we advertising in the right sort of magazines, in the right sort of communities? Uh, there was one for application, one for appointments, and one for career progression. And although we had these four sort of main themes, there were sub-themes to each of these. Yeah. Uh, so they were discussed as well. And then all of the information was collected. Uh, we developed an action plan to address the barriers. And I put some governance accountability in place with the introduction of a recruitment retention steering group that oversee this piece of work. So... Obviously, it's, it's great that you, you, I suppose, identified those four themes. So there was attraction, applications, appointments, and progression. And then each of those had a number of kind of sub-themes underneath. Let's just stick at the top level now to keep things nice and simple. What were your main findings in terms of attraction? Yeah, I think one of the key findings in our attraction was uh, we use something called Anish's jobs. So all of the other... Uh, job postings were on this main portal, but there wasn't any engagement with uh, different people because different people have different barriers. Uh, there's barriers for people with uh, physical and mental impairments. There's barriers for people who have literacy or numeracy problems. There's barriers for people who have English as a second language. So what we had to do, we had to develop uh, strategies to be proactive and actually have open days within those communities to attract and, and then actually showcase some of the vacancies that we have in our, in our trust. Brilliant. And what about applications then? Yeah, the application was, was quite challenging because uh, predominantly the NHS only accept applications through the online portal, but um, it sort of discriminates in terms that some people they like us to fill in a physical copy. So all we did, we worked with um, sort of the hierarchy in the NHS, and then the NHS have tailored and made huge uh, improvements around the application process. So 
you can have manual application processes put in as well. Some of it is around the reasonable adjustments of the application process. So looking at virtual ways of, of um, sending the application and virtual ways of actually being interviewed. Yeah, that's really cool. And um, and then what did you find out for appointments? Yeah, the appointments was interesting because uh, we analysed how people were being shortlisted. And then what we triangulated was that where you had independence in the interviewing panel, you were more likely to get a diverse sort of selection. But then we also changed the construct of the interview to ensure that the right decision was made, there wasn't group thing and there wasn't bias within that process. And the impact has been significant because uh, we've seen huge improvements in the diversity and the makeup of the organisation. That's really brilliant. And then finally, progression. Yeah. So there is a lot of frustration, particularly from uh, our Black Asian minority ethnic colleagues who go on quite a number of development programs. They get lots of leadership training. But when it comes to sort of acting up and secondments, they, they, they don't get looked in. So what we have done is look talent management in its entirety about looking at appraisal, developing inclusive leadership programs so that managers are aware of some of the challenges that Black Asian manager ethnic people face when it comes to career progression. Before, the secondment acting up were actually sort of not advertised uh, globally across the organisation. Uh, they, were, they were sent to like a few people, but now we've changed all that by in, insisting that the advert goes to everybody so that there's equal opportunity to apply. That's all really good. And I think what I like particularly is that it's very logical to me. So you were breaking down the employee life cycle, if you like, focusing on those four key themes of attraction, applications, appointments, and progression. Obviously, you know, that was broken down further, but also the the methodology that you used, just bringing everyone together and, you know, booking out 10 rooms and brainstorming with colleagues and things like that. So once you had unearthed the, I suppose the the challenges that people were experiencing under those four key areas. What were then some of the improvements that you've been able to make, particularly at that that systemic level that you were particularly keen to address? Yeah, I think it was interesting because we'd introduced some checks and balances and brought about some independence uh, within the entire process. So there was a uh, greater accountability to reduce groupthink or in-group bias. We started using a buddy system for new starters. Uh, there's a new starter review process. So after three months, uh, we interview all of the new starters to, to reflect on their experience of the entire recruitment process, the uh, onboarding process, uh, and that feedback, that intelligence feeds into improving the whole recruitment process. We also offer now the ability to raise uh, an audit or, or access to an audit. So if somebody is unhappy with the recruitment process and they felt that they 
or sort of discriminated against or they didn't get a fair opportunity. So they've got opportunity to actually access uh, or raise a grievance so we can audit the whole recruitment process. We offer career development workshops now for people who weren't successful so they can access those. Now, as you know, Tori, there are interdependencies for all this and some of the impacts we've seen through the work that I've carried out with this methodology was around how we now have a very comprehensive exit interview because people now who are leaving, because we want retention to be a big feature and a big part of the NHS, but we, we lose quite a lot of good people. So we also have developed something called the behavioural framework because that encourages people to stay and how, how they want to be treated in the work environment. And also now, because of the impact of COVID, a lot of people want to work flexibly and remotely in Agile. So we've got a very comprehensive Agile and flexible working policy to ensure that we attract quite a diverse sort of group of people to work for the NHS. And we've been able to challenge, as I mentioned earlier, our talent processes. And, and these are significant because a manager is responsible for the progression of the individual. So looking at appraisal and how that's sort of implemented in terms of access to development. And also we've introduced some really key model employer targets for reducing the diversity deficit. It feels to me like it's very like targeted and specific interventions. And it's very different to what a lot of organisations do, which is that they'll organise something without much evidence behind it. And then they get really frustrated later on that the thing that they've organised doesn't shift the dial. Whereas, you know, you went in, you had, well, you had a methodology to this, which I helps, I think helps to have that structure. You listened to your people to find out what the challenges were, identified the key themes and then came up with a number of really targeted solutions, which I, I really like. And what is the impact that you've noticed since running this exercise and, 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 and implementing those solutions? It's early days, but we've had some really quick wins. We've achieved some of the model employer targets for Black Asian minority ethnic staff at senior levels. So six years ago, uh, we didn't have anybody from a Black Asian minority ethnic background in the board. We now have four. So that's an increase of 24%. Yeah. The NHS is also structured in a way where we have grading. So we've seen increases in grade 8A and above. Yeah. We've also improved in our sort of national equality standards that we have to fulfill the workforce, race and disability equality standards. So in metrics one and two, we've improved. And I think one of the biggest sort of shift has been in how our staff survey has demonstrated that we've made a real shift uh, in, in terms of the criminal retention. Uh, and it was a theme consistently annually where the percentage of staff that we with the organisers provide equal option of career progression provision has, has considerably improved. See, in the latter years, uh, this was always quite a challenging indicator. Uh, and, and we were below 
or people believing that we offer the opportunities uh, within career progression and promotion. But that's gone up to 56% this year. Excellent. So there's some really positive results there, which actually leads us onto the the penultimate question that I ask everybody when they come on the show is, is what does inclusive growth mean to you? And particularly, I'm interested to hear from a, obviously from an NHS and public service perspective, because I talk to a lot of commercial organisations and they say things like, well, we want to yeah, be more profitable, yeah, better anticipate our customer needs and deliver better products and services and things like that. But from a from a health service perspective, what does inclusive growth mean? For the NHS, it's a no-brainer, Toby. There is a direct correlation between staff experience and patient satisfaction. Mm. So it makes real good business sense to recruit from within our local communities uh, so we can offer a really good, better service to our patients and service users. Yeah. We always say that employees are our greatest asset. So this is about reaping the benefits of the diverse talent, which then enable our organisations to grow. Yeah. So, so really, this is, this is a fundamental business case for the NHS because research suggests that greater diversity delivers sort of better results. So having a diverse workforce and creating an environment that gives everybody a voice that encourages people to contribute and also to bring their whole selves to work is how we really get the most out of our people, which helps drive innovation and creativity. Excellent. Yeah. It reminds me, I've been working recently with a very big energy company and the chief executive has got this triangle and he says that priority number one is to look after your own people and make sure your own staff are happy because they will make happy customers and then those customers will deliver great results back to shareholders. So he's like, you know, staff first priority, customers and then shareholders. So yeah, what you're saying rings true to me. So before we go, if the person listening to us right now would like to get in touch with you, pick your brains about the methodology that you used and how they could use that in their own workplace, what what should they do? Yeah, I think if people want to know about the methodology and uh, they want to implement this within their organisation, uh, I'm happy to connect with them on LinkedIn. So the easiest way would be to get in touch with me on LinkedIn. And it's my first name, Nazir, and then my second name, Magda. And once you put that in the search, uh, I think there's about three of us. <laughs> but there's only one of them who's in the NHS. Yeah, so we need to find Nazir, Magda, NHS, uh, and we can easily connect with you there. So Nazir, thank you ever so much for joining me today. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And um, what I really like is your approach at getting equality and diversity and inclusion embedded into the kind of the DNA or the the uh, into the NHS at that kind of systemic level, which is exactly the point that I make all the time to my own clients and uh, what, what I wrote about in my book as well. So, Nazir, thank you ever so much for, for joining me. Thank you, Toby, for having me and really appreciate this opportunity to share some of, and I hope uh, people can actually learn from our experience. Yeah, definitely. I hope they do. And and thank you for choosing to listen to us today. Hopefully you've taken some really interesting ideas, insights, tips and tricks that you can take back 
to your own organization. Um, as we just said, feel free to reach out to Nazir on LinkedIn or myself if you want to discuss this approach and how you can apply it into your own organization. Until the next episode of the Inclusive Growth Show comes up, I hope you take care of yourself and uh, I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.